Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. All right, new uh, Patreon exclusive giveaway idea. I don't know how. Uh, someone comes to give us a haircut. Someone who, who's been vaccinated comes to give us a haircut. <laughs> Absolutely. I'll pay triple at this point. Heavy premium uh, for a haircut right now. I, I've i run out of ideas as to how to control this. It's like, it's bad. It's not my, good. My sideburns are starting to get volume. That's a problem. <laughs> yeah, that's the worst. And like, when I have, so I have my glasses on today. I don't always, but when I have my glasses on, I take them off and there's always that little bit where it's just like, it curls in and out. And I'm like, God, that's so, it looks so stupid. And I actually caught myself saying out loud the other day, um, well, who do I have to look good for? And I'm like, I'm on video calls all day for work. And then twice a week we do this podcast, which go, which gets put on YouTube as well. What do I mean? Who do I have look, to look good for? Thank I can't look good for them, but there's lots. The nice thing here is that I stare straight at the camera so people can't see. So for normal, for reference, when I get a normal haircut, the hair on the side of my head and the back of my head's basically shaved. Um, and it's getting so long that I'm actually getting like a little mullet at the back. <laughs> Look at that little curl. Uh, I know. one too. I, I know. know. Pain. Nobody could understand Mika's and Hank's hair because they, they're both curly and wavy and wild and Crystal's hair is long and perfectly straight now that my hair is actually grown out and people see it they just look at the kids look at me and go oh i get it now yeah yeah it makes a lot of sense oh man welcome to the winged wheel podcast in desperate need um things to calm down so we can use uh regular services i'm ryan hannah in desperate need of uh, sleep i'm brad crisco and i'm evan Evan, who's never had a hard day in his life, if you ask, uh, well, actually not if you ask him. If you catch Evan on the pre-show, he'll tell you everything that's wrong. But uh, on the episode, he's cool and collected while Brad and I whine. <laughs> yep, I've already aired my grievances. Yeah, we like we like to be the relatable members of the podcast so that uh, the listeners go, oh, they have problems too. They're just like me. And then Evan's like the holy overlord that everybody goes, but I want to be him. Oh, oh, you know what? Before we get into to hockey here, and we are going to do hockey, um, I promise for those of you who don't like long interludes at the beginning, but a promise I make to you guys because I rag on you endlessly is that I tell you when I have my embarrassing or like terrible moments as a human being. At work in a meeting, I actually said, I was, I was speaking and I actually said the phrase and immediately the moment came out of my mouth. I was like, what is wrong with me? I said the phrase, we have to, for the lack of a better term, prognosticate a little bit. And I was like, I'm sorry, there's a lot of better terms to use in casual conversation rather than prognosticate, you absolute douche canoe. You I was about to say, that makes loser. you sound like an absolute douche. Yeah, it I came out of my mouth and I was like, oh my God, for lack of a better term, we have to prognosticate. Shut up, man. I'll use the biggest <laughs> term I know. <laughs> it's It's all that existed in my brain at the moment, like... The mo and, and you guys know this, the moment I have to recall like a specific celebrity's name or something stupid like that, my brain just goes, nah, we're not doing it. So I was like, for lack of a better term, your brain, my brain was like, prognosticate. That's all we're giving you. Roll with it, buddy. Make and it I work. said it out loud. Yeah. Make it work. You're just having an embarrassing week, eh? Oh, yeah. Wait, what else did I do? Well, you actually willingly 
on Twitter admitted to tucking your shin guards under the tongue of your skates. Like, get oh, out of out, here, you're you tongues out lead. guy. Are you a tongue in? It's Evan? not that he's just a tongue out guy. I'm a tongue guy. in guy, yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Evan. It's not just that he's a tongues out guy. It's that he gave me shit for being a tongue in guy. Like, I don't get ha- out of here, you absolute cretin. <laughs> it, it, it's like, you know, when you see, like, models wearing certain clothing you're like oh i could wear that and then you try it on and you look like the paper bag princess i just don't have the look to rock tongues out you know but i i'm not that guy I just i need to be like everybody else i'm an everyday man for context we're talking about the the <laughs> tongue of your hockey skate tucked in your shin pad or left outside of it it's okay a genuine question i'm gonna get back to like fighting you on this brad but is it genuinely meant like manufacturer meant yes. to go underneath yeah so when um the new skates and mo- it's more of a shin guard thing but yeah when we're doing our our pk uh product knowledge um training sessions for each new product uh yeah they do specify it is meant to be pulled over the tongue of your skate does that not stop some like mobility of your foot no it actually gives you more and as long as you buy the right size shin guard (laughs) tell me more okay i have not bought new hockey equipment since i played competitive hockey which is getting much closer to 10 years ago than i care to admit oh my god it's been 10 years um so maybe that's why i'm behind on the (laughs) times but none of my like my shin pads were bulky and i glued them to my shins yeah so um Again, whether you use a whole roll of tape or none at all, again, I don't use any because my equipment fits. Um, basically, what happens is if your shin guard's too long, imagine with your skates, you take a shoehorn and you jam it in behind the laces of your skate or even just something there. You're going to limit your forward flexion. If you bring the shin guard over the tongue of your skate, now even if your shin guard is a little too long, that forward flexion, you're just, you're over top of the laces. You're not limiting anything. So it's just all about that forward mobility. And if it's tucked in, you're limited in how far you can go. Unless your shin guard is way too short, in which case you're at risk for taking a puck there. I I think I, I had a mix of not ever knowing that and also having uh, shin guards that finish shorter. Probably because I was trying to avoid the mobility issue that you just talked about. You're blowing my mind. I was ready for a fight, but that actually makes a lot of sense. Yeah, a perfect size shin guard should come to right where your laces begin. So if you're thinking about pulling it over the tongue and you're lining it up to where your laces start and where all the forward flexion is on your skate, that's where it should be. (laughs) No, mine was like higher. (laughs) My shin guard started like probably two inches higher than that. And you were a defenseman. There were a lot of pucks (laughs) that entered that area. (laughs) I got got hurt a lot, okay? (laughs) Yeah, because you got to uh, think, skate, I don't know on 20 uh, year old skates, but on new skates, like uh, the tongue has a metatarsal guard that usually ends a little above that. So you're basically just trying to get that little bit of overlap where you have your metatarsal guard and your shin guard. So everything's covered there, but you still have mobility. Uh, you know what? I'll concede, Brad, you were right on this one. Um, is that partly to do that with the fact that anytime I come into an argument and Evan is already on your side, I know there's no hope. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I want to try this the next time we get out on the ice. Are you it, still doing your ODR on the weekends? Yeah, I've been going every Saturday morning, although the forecast for this Saturday looks like it might be a no. <laughs> oh, yeah. It looks rough out there. 
Oh, man, it is so cold. Uh, anyhow, speaking of so cold, the Red Wings power play. No, just kidding. <laughs> what? Not actually. Uh, the Red Wings have had one game. Yeah, one game. Their last game of the Florida series uh, since we last spoke. That was last night. It was a 2-1 uh, loss. Um, honestly, interesting game to watch in my mind for the first, like, I want to say 10 to 15 minutes, maybe oh. 10 to 12 minutes. Okay. Uh, the Red Wings started out and I was like, oh, this is a good showing. And then I think nothing happened for 40 minutes. And then they came on at the end um, to try to come back. But well, some players it, came on. Philip Zadina didn't, but some players came on. Oh, yeah. We'll talk about that. The Red Wings ultimately lost two to one. Um, there were some really positive points in my mind and uh the negative points aren't going to be very surprising, and sadly, the not surprising ones are the overwhelming, uh, I don't know, defining points for the game. So what do we want to talk about first here? Let's start, talk about the positive. Let's talk about Philip Zadina doing Philip Zadina things. Philip Zadina, Dylan Larkin still showing off their chemistry, which like we've talked about on previous episodes. Um, yeah, it's fun to watch, but also you think long term. That's great for those two to have chemistry, especially uh, right now in the you know short term because there's injuries and we need Zadina to be playing on the top line. So great. And long term, uh, Zadina and Larkin are very much the part, big parts of the future of this team. They will be the core of this team if all goes well. So it, it it's a nice feeling and it, it, you know, without getting too deep into it, it shows well for the future when uh, your best parts mix well together. So uh, Larkin, great pass to Zadina. Well, I shouldn't say great pass was in his skates. Uh, Zadina picked up the pass quickly, kicked it up from his skates to his stick, and then fired it on net. Uh, admittedly, terrible goal for Bobrovsky to let in. Like, absolutely awful goal. But the puck was on net. It went in. Zadina did what he needed to do to get the shot off. And that's what ma- makes the difference between just a good player and a goal scorer. And that's what Zadina did on that play. So first, his first of the season. So two things are fascinating on this play to me um, from Philip Zadina's standpoint. One of them... Let me preface this by saying that was a bad goal for Bobrovsky to let in either way, but I think he was getting a little more crap on that goal than he probably should have because goalies are taught to track the puck. Don't follow the player's eyes or whatever, yada, 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 track the puck um, because simple, right? Um, Zadina kicking the puck to his stick and releasing it right away does change the angle by about three feet, which... You would hope an NHL goalie's reaction time is good enough to make that up, but uh, apparently Bobrovsky's wasn't, but he did change the angle. So a little bit of a pass for Bobrovsky there. Not much of one, but a little bit. But the key to this play, it's something, this is the one thing I've been noticing more and more, the more I pay attention to it. When you look at NHL players, goal scorers specifically, players like Zadina, there's one thing that I've noticed that separates the good ones from the great ones, and it's bad shots. The one thing, not to compliment a leaf, but the one thing I've always noticed about John Tavares that makes him so special is you could literally spin that puck in the air to him, and he's going to be able to catch it, make one quick move, and shoot it like before the goalie can even set, even though he's handling a, a hand grenade in front of him Um, that play on Zadina when he kicks that to his stick if you look at the angle of his stick and the release point that's not a comfortable shot to take he has to change his wrist he's shooting it off the heel of his blade and he's doing it at an angle that's he's admittedly not going to get a ton of power on it and he didn't but the fact that he was able to do that all so quickly is what threw Bobrovsky off because anybody 
most people in a beer league, if you give them enough time and space to get a shot off, are going to get a good shot off and can shoot it hard and sometimes with accuracy. To see Zadina be able to get it off with decent power, decent accuracy, with all the circumstances he had going against him, that's what separates players like him. You send Patrick Line a one-timer across the zone, but that pucks up on his edge when it gets to him, he's still hammering that on net. And that's not something that can really be taught. That's just natural instinct yeah. to be able to handle bad pucks and turn them into shots. Dart Larkin put one right in his boots as... And he was kind of skating skating with the momentum of the pass a little bit on a slight angle. That's a nothing play. That puck goes to the corner or is a regroup nine out of ten times. Instead, Larkin puts a pass into Zadina's boots, and less than two seconds later, it's in the back of the net. That's just not something a lot of players can do, even though it looks like an incredibly simple play. But there's a reason we don't see Luke Glendening or Matthias Brome or any of these other guys pulling that off because it's fucking hard and Zatina can do it. And if you remember, uh, I don't like calling them the troubles because we have to stop holding every rookie in the NHL to like Sidney Crosby and Ovi in their rookie year levels uh, of play. But what was kind of holding back Zadina in his rookie year uh, was the fact that he was kind of double clutching and not really firing it the way Brad has just explained. He was looking for that perfect opportunity because he, in the minors, um, and you know, as he was developing and coming to the NHL, was always afforded time and space. What does the NHL notoriously not give you any of? Time and space. So he's had to kind of adapt that skill set to be able to get it off uh, make all those small adjustments and just still get that quality shot home um, that Brad just described to you, but just in a quicker way. So that's all a very normal and natural part of development. So um, I was having, I was chatting with someone and they were saying like, oh, it's exciting that Zadina has refound his form. And I'm like, you're right that Zadina is playing really well, but I don't think it's quite fair to say he's refound his form. I think his progression has gone over a pretty natural path. Um, he's still very early in his career and we just have a tendency to just hold players to the highest benchmark. Like Quinn Hughes is one of the most impressive, if not the most impressive player out of his draft class. Is it fair to hold every single prospect's development up to his standard? Not really. If you're comparing like who should have picked who, yeah, then within the confines of that conversation, sure. But in terms of, you know, how Zadina has developed those skills and really honed that shooting ability, this tracks. Like this is on pace. What did we say before the season? This is when Zadina has to really kind of shine through as a playmaker and a scorer. Um, and that's the kind of play we're seeing from him. Obviously, he got COVID in the middle of that. So that's going to throw a huge wrench in things. So one goal in seven games is by no means phenomenal. Uh, but his play has has been really good. And I, I think he's been one of Detroit's best players. So yeah, him and Larkin continuing to tear it up. That's a, a good positive. Any other positives that you guys want to note from that game before we get into the special teams? Evan's eyes got huge. Nothing. I I can honestly say I passively watched that game after Zadina scored. I don't remember anything. Uh, I was trying to think of things I could remember. The only other thing I remember is um, no one who can score a goal is on in the last minute and a little bit. So that's all I got. Yeah. yeah, I'm trying watching to watching Adam Ernie get off the ice. And my brain was like, if he's getting off the ice with a minute and a half left, that means he was on with a minute and a half left. Why? Yeah, yeah, that was that was a, a thing. Cause, and let's not forget the Adam Ernie shift followed up uh, Franz Nielsen and uh, Darren Helm shift. 
you know, when you're down by one with under three minutes left trying to tie a game, best to throw out a couple of guys who have zero goals this year and follow it up by throwing out a guy who has zero goals this year. Um, I don't think they combined for 10 goals last year over a 70 game season. So, you know, strategy, uh, player deployment continues to be one of Jeff Blashill's biggest weaknesses. So we don't need to beat that dead horse. We've mentioned it time Can and I time again. Positive? Hmm? Sorry. Can I say a positive? You, you mentioned sure. Franz Nielsen and scoring. Franz Nielsen is usually due like for a very great opportunity for one reason or another. It always comes to him and it doesn't go in as you can kind of figure out. But Ken Daniels always calls that play as if there is like a 70% chance that Franz Nielsen is going to bury this. It's just always like, Nielsen in on net. Oh, and I'm like, hey, Ken, you know what? I appreciate the optimism. That was awesome. There's zero chance he wasn't firing that directly into his chest, but that was cool. It's, it's for whatever reason, at least once a game, Luke Glendening and Darren Helm end up on some kind of two on one. Like it's, it's, crazy for how ineffective they are offensively how many they get and it you get that brief moment of oh, two on one and then it you hear ken daniels here comes luke Lindenning with darren helm on his wing and it's like oh so you know before they get the blue line it's like oh well you all you know how it's going by mick mick always goes ah damn <laughs> something like that <laughs> like no just <laughs> he's like you gotta shoot that yeah um yeah where was that what was i talking about before Cares, man. Oh yeah, deployment at the end. So I we've harped on Blashill for doing this exact same thing a hundred times before. The only reason I mention it is I want to just make note when it happens so that everybody's aware it's still happening and it's something of his that isn't improving. And one guy argued, I wouldn't say argued, but he made the point like, well, yeah, you got to put someone out there with three minutes left to make sure the big guys are rested for the final minutes of the game. And the Red Wings don't have depth. So if you want Larkin, Mantha, Bertuzzi and Fabry and Zadina and Heronic on the ice at the end, you got to get someone out there. The shift that's not them. Um, fair. Except for the fact that Philip Zadina didn't see the ice in the last three minutes. Arguably the Red Wings' most dangerous offensive player in the lineup um, was not on the ice at all for any of that. The guy who had their goal, the guy who's over a half a point per game, which is a monumental feat this season. The guy who's young, so you want to develop him in these exact type of situations. Don't get me wrong. Robbie Fabry's not a bad player, and he's perfectly fine to have out in those situations. I don't give a crap what Robbie Fabry is going to be like in 10 years. I give a crap what Phillips Dean is going to be like in 10 years. Put him out there. I will argue if you're trying to win the game, Phillips Zadina is a better option out there than Fabry. But if you want to take the big picture, absolutely Phillips Zadina is the right option to put out there. It's criminal to me he's not. And then, as Florida did, they realized there's only one real shooting threat on the ice and it was on Anthony Mantha's side. So they just crowded over there and sure enough, Mantha didn't get a good shot off. Whereas the other side of the ice was wide open. Could have been occupied by Philip Zadina, but nah. you live, you learn, you change nothing. <laughs> the, I want to talk about the power play. Um, we, we know the power plays. Yeah. You know what? There's actually parts about this that are really starting to get to me. The the we know the power play hasn't been effective in some games. It's like they can't gain the zone in some games. It's like they're not moving the puck or their their feet are standing still in some games. It's like they're not shooting or, you know, the, the players out there are just like for either injury or just Jeff Blashill's whim. It's just like those guys aren't going to bury a puck. 
And it's really frustrating when it's a little bit of all those things because they just get so close. So, for example, the puck movement on the power play when they were in the zone, mind you, um, was actually it looked good to a degree. It's a little deceptive because was it actually good? I'd say no. The only player, and I, I tweeted this out. So, Evan, I'm sorry for speaking out the tweets that I put out there. Um, the only player who was effectively and confidently firing the puck through seams to generate space and shot angles and all the good things that you want on a power play was Anthony Mantha. And he was connecting on those passes. So they would be dished back to him, sure. But everything else was so predictable. Winger, defenseman, defenseman, winger. Winger, defenseman, defenseman, winger. Maybe below the net, back to the winger, defenseman, defense. It's all perimeter play. And there was probably one instance wherein Anthony Mantha probably double-clutched when he shouldn't have. He should have just fired it. And 10 more where he wanted to fire it. But the 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 coverage, the penalty kill coverage on him didn't have to move because they could predict everything that was going to happen because the puck traveled on a predictable path all the way around the perimeter. There was no movement from the players. There was no finding the seams, as Brad, you always call for. There's just this kind of lazy stasis in terms of structure that's making it so impossible for players like Mantha to get an ounce of space. And he only needs an ounce of space. The Anthony Manthas and the Phillips Adinas and the Patrick Lines, these guys who can rip the puck, they don't need much, but you've got to give them something. You cannot make it easy for the defenders to lock down. And whether this is Blashill or Bilesma, or maybe the players just aren't executing, I don't know what it is. It's not surprising that they're like one for their last 20 or something like that. It's just, it's gutting to watch because you can see the players who are doing the right thing and they can't convert. And I don't ever want to hear that, uh, you know, a coach and systems have no result on output because you know for a fact that with a better power play plan and a better special team strategy, Detroit's five or six best players out on the ice should be having more output. But they're running a system that just doesn't produce. Anyways, that's my inadvertent Mike Milbury minute. I'll throw it back to you guys. So it's funny too because my biggest pet peeve of the power play isn't even the end zone cycle. It's you have to get the zone. To get the end zone cycle. They had two, uh, I'll say minute long stretches on the power play in the last game where they actually did run a a really good, I'm not going to say good, like you said, they they held control of the puck and generated a lot of shots for Mantha that got blocked. You explained all that. I don't need to repeat that to death. Both those cycles uh, came off of offensive zone faceoff wins. They never actually gained the blue line once that whole game. Um, Phillips Dina tried doing it himself twice and was stopped both times because everybody else on the ice with him was standing still. This is okay. We rag on the Detroit deep dish drop pass a lot because it doesn't work. The more I've watched other games, the drop pass works. It doesn't work for Detroit because they don't do it well. They don't do it well at all. Watch other teams do it. All five guys on the ice are in motion and the puck carrier has options, either one option on the other side of the ice or two options because he's in the middle and he can go right or left and he reads where the gap is and he gives it to the player with the best gap. And if the team overcompensates for the pass, the player just skates it in. That's why that play works. And you can even have someone run parallel across the blue line to run a pick, a bit of interference, yada, yada, a legal pick, whatever. NBC used to call it and beat it to death when Detroit did it because Detroit used to do that. 
Every single time they run this, there's a minimum of three players standing still in the neutral zone, effectively taking themselves out of the play. So what the Red Wings uh, zone entry system is on the power play is essentially a two on four because most teams will stack near the line. <laughs> like it's like Jon Snow against the oncoming army every time you want to have a zone entry. Like it sounds like a joke, but it's it's literally what it is. You watch the defenders. They don't even worry about the other three guys on the ice. So the only reason they ever get any zone entries on the power play is because every once in a while, Anthony Mantha, Dylan Larkin, or Phillips Dean is just good enough to do it themselves. They just, one they just thing, do it. One other thing about the drop pass, and you're right, Brad. It works for other teams because they do it right. In general, the drop pass is meant to, besides all the things that Brad said where you have to be in motion, it is meant to make the other team's defense and and like uh, zone prevention stutter. It's just make, supposed to make them stutter stop their momentum and throw them off. Detroit mistimes their drop passes a lot and not only mistimes them, does them too far back, which gives them too much time to reset and anticipate. And not only that, the drop, Evan wasn't kidding when he called it a deep dish drop pass. Sometimes the drop is so deep. You're just like, you are actually just, you're sending the puck backwards for no reason. It does not need to fire that far back. It's just this myriad of things where it just removes all the positive effects of it and slows, like Brad has said, your entry down. And to be an effective play, sorry to steal a, a football term here, but it essentially needs to be an RPO. So if the player trailing is the quarterback, what has to happen there is the player who's carrying the puck has to read the play in front of them because teams do overcompensate when they know the draw pass is coming. So a lot of other teams will go for the pass, realize they're cheating and just say, well, I'll just keep it and take the ice that you're giving to me because now it's a four on three in front of this guy. So let's just roll with that. Um, Detroit never does that. It's a drop pass every time. The only time they don't initiate the drop pass is if it's on a broken play. It's just, it's maddening because they, ha I don't care who's on the ice. You could put out Franz Nielsen, Luke Lendenning, Darren Helm, uh, Adam Ernie, and John Merrill. You run this play properly, it will work. Even with those guys who are limited skill-wise. They could do it. It's not a complicated play if done correctly. And it's just, it's just disheartening. Just how do you not know to move like this is novice stuff hockey if you're standing still you're not getting the puck that's just the rule they, they teach you that if you're looking ahead and you're trying to head man the puck and the player is standing still the coach tells you don't give that kid the puck your momentum is better even though he's 20 feet ahead of you like yeah and and an nhl team can't figure that out i just and then once they get the zone, we've we've talked about all their flaws and and they're unwilling to try anything new. We've got John Merrill, who's a great defender, um, as a power play quarterback. I think his career high in points is fifteen. He's a power play quarterback. Taro Hirose is in the press box. They have not even tried Philip Zadina and Anthony Mantha on the same power play unit. I get Zadina's a left shot, but Zadina's got a left shot to be able to rip one from his strong side and be a threat. Just even if he stands there and doesn't move, it's going to open up Anthony Mantha's shot because they can't do, Florida can't do what they did, which is stack Mantha's side and be like, all right, you want Larkin or Fabry to take the shot from the other side? Fine. Bobrovsky will get that 100 out of 100 times. So it's, it's not just that the power play is bad. It's that the power play is bad and they've done nothing to fix it. They haven't even tried to fix it. 
Yeah, it's funny that zone entry thing. I was watching yesterday. I'm like, every single power play is essentially a minute long at best. Like, however long they can hold the zone off the offensive zone draw. And then the the second unit or whatever it is just can't even make it in. On the off chance that they do leave the best players on the ice for as much of the power play as possible, which I wish they would do more, um, they can't even get the zone back. <sighs> Anyways. The Red Wings power play is under 10%. It's literally firing under 10% right now. I think it's 9.7 or something like that. 30th in the league. How is that a team worse? Uh, I'm trying to think of who is it. I, I was looking it up yesterday. Got to be Ottawa. Minnesota. So, yeah, well, Detroit's yeah, running I mean, at. That checks out, actually. Yeah, Detroit's running at 9.3%. Oh, my God. Minnesota, 7.1. Wow. wow Isn't like wow. the all time worst in a season eight something? Well, Minnesota, thanks for making it a little easier, but not much. We talk a lot about the power play because that's sexy. You're not getting goals. Where are you missing the goals? The power play, of course. The Red Wings are scoring under two goals a game, period, right now. They need to produce more on the power play. The Red Wings have all of these players who are supposed to be, and, and I'm going to steal a complaint from Brad here, you know, defensive specialists, and at least they provide defense, and they're good on the, the PK, and they grind it out. The Red Wings are running their penalty kill at a 70% efficiency, good for 28th in the league. That means three out of every 10 times they're scoring against Detroit. The opponent is scoring on their power play. 30% of the time they are scoring on the power play. What's the best power play percentage in the league right now? 37. So the, oh God. Yeah. It's uh, it's mental. Yeah. Florida or Washington? Washington and Florida tied for 37 even. You want to know where that is mental. come from? Could you imagine having a power play where it's almost a coin toss if you score? Uh, Florida Washington. is five for nine on the power play against Detroit this season. Oh, well, then that doesn't count. Yeah. Washington's number one by tiebreaker, and that's the tiebreak. <laughs> Did you play Detroit this year? <laughs> it's The special teams are bad all around. And, you know, there's games where Detroit plays well five on five to their ability like they almost have a, a five on five game where they match up to the standards we set up to them preseason when we're like we don't expect you to be competitive we, we don't expect you to fire up the standings but make make it tough for the other team to play against you well and there's been a, like this tampa bay i think is leading the league in goals against so they have the least goals scored against them and they're top 10 maybe even top five at goals for like it's possible to play defense and also score goals right and it's I, I love the separation out when people are like, yeah, but they're playing well five on five. I'm like, well, that doesn't f- matter when the, the goal against is guaranteed on the pen- on the penalty kill and you're not putting anything in on the power play. There is someone some people I don't I don't know. Some people were uh, complaining about Grice. I'm like, I don't think I, I don't think Grice or Bernie are playing to superhero levels. But at the same time, I also don't think that they've been so god awful where they've been losing games. If you're scoring under two goals a game. And you're letting in as much as you're doing. I'm sorry. It's not the goalie's fault. The goalies might not be great, but it's not the goalie's fault. You need to score on the power play and you need to stop the the, the opposing team's power play. I don't know. Sometimes. That'd be nice. Yeah. it's And again, this is why Darren Hellman, Luke Glendening, and Franz Nielsen are on this team. This is what they're supposed to do. So if your defensive specialists are tragically bad at the defense part of it, especially on the penalty kill. Why are they here? There's no good defense of them at this point, then, if they have no defense. And I know I'm, God, am I seeing the Luke Glendening face-off stat. 
I don't think people truly underestimate how unimpactful faceoffs actually are on the game as a whole. <laughs> there's a reason why the Red Wings are one of the better faceoff teams in the league, and they're the one of the worst teams in the league because there's not a lot of correlation there. So I don't care that Luke Lendenning wins the faceoff to start the power play, and then they spend uh, the other team has to take 15 seconds to go and bring it back, and then they spend the next minute and 45 in the zone. I, this is just all tying back to the circle of why we we started talking about why wasn't Philip Zadina on the ice to start? Why is Michael Rasmussen in Grand Rapids? Why is Taro Hirose in the press box? If you're not generating uh, surplus value from your defensive specialists, screw it. Put on the guys who can create some offense. If they all suck defensively, might as well suck. Put the guys out there who suck defensively, but might contribute a few points here or there, especially when you have a guy who's good on the power play like Michael Rasmussen or Taro Hirose and your power play also sucks. This is just the never ending cycle of stupid personnel decisions that we've been talking about for six years that I'm just I'm completely sick of and completely over. It makes no sense anymore. Yeah, well. Like when um, Darren Helm could skate like the wind. Oh yeah, yeah, he was terrible offensively, but you you could see the defensive metrics. You could see with the eye test that Darren Helm was contributing positively at least on half the ice. He's not anymore. His legs are gone. Like The Red Wings right now are averaging almost 27 shots per game. I I want to think that that can't be true. <laughs> it depends what arena they're in. Uh, arenas some arenas are very generous with their shot attempts, I've noticed, and I think they Florida's dump it in from like our own blue line. Yeah, it's a shot attempt, especially for Detroit. That what Dallas was doing that. I remember watching that. I, I forget who it was. Someone literally rolled one in from the red line, and it counted. <laughs> but uh, yeah, well, the here's here's the thing: shot chances versus scoring chances, huge difference. Uh, yes. The Red Wings are definitely not good at one of those things. Well, the NHL doesn't track that on their home pa- on their uh, stats page just yet. It's too fancy. So <laughs> once they do, I'll be all over that. Uh, it's it's funny because you know, there's been a lot of talk. I, again, I maintain the two people with the hardest jobs right now are the Wings social media team and Fox Sports Detroit team because they have to be they have to find positivity where they can, and it's not hard to do. But I think a point that Mick and Ken and them have been making is that this team has been not bad at five on five on times, which is what makes this like, that's why I kind of still find, I don't know, reason to uh, complain is the wrong word, but maybe not because I know how close they are. It's just, it's, you just legitimately need to make some strategy adjustments and this isn't going to be a 37% power play team. Detroit's never going to be pushing the top, but Hey, like 15 to 20, it'd be great. You know, just a little bit more. Just yeah. competent. Just you don't even need to be league average. We're not even asking you to be average. Just a little better. A little better. Anyhow, um, something I do want to very quickly explain out. Um, this this happens essentially between every game, um, and it will continue ha- to happen for the rest of the year. And we get the question quite a bit, so I figured we'd say it on air as well. Um, you'll see players like Giovanni Smith and Matthias Brome being sent down uh, between games. So you know. Giovanni Smith had his Gordie Howe hat trick, and the next game he was sent to the taxi squad. And for those of you who don't know or don't remember, the taxi squad is technically the AHL. And that it's a paper transaction, and it serves two purposes. Even if they plan on intending or they intend on playing Giovanni Smith next game, um, it makes sense for them from a salary cap standpoint and from a budget standpoint. First of all, the salary cap is actually calculated daily. 
And so, you know, the cap divided by the cap hit divided by however, however many numbers of days in the season, et cetera, et cetera. So by sending the player down to the AHL, you save cap space that you accrue um, that you can use later on in the season. It's just shrewd cap management. And secondly, for players on two-way deals, uh, they make less their AHL dollars. So they'll make like 70 grand of the AHL and, you know, 700 or whatever it is in the NHL. So it saves the team real dollars. I saw some people saying, well, that's kind of crummy to the players and I mean, yeah, if you're if you're in support of the players getting more money, sure. Um, it's not not, but it's also just the reality of the game. Like this has been happening forever. Maybe not as easily as they're doing right now because of the taxi squad, but they this still did used to happen in previous seasons and will continue to happen. And you damn well better bet that it's going to happen in a pandemic where owners are trying to save every little bit of money possible. So God bless all the people on that twitter post who are like trying to inject some intellectualism into the 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 comments there are some people are like no no don't worry it's just a paper move and there's this one (laughs) how about putting the head coach in the taxi squad how much longer are we going to sit here and watch the team struggle and have to deal with shitey coach don't worry i don't expect response you don't ever answer my question or comments (laughs) wonder why (laughs) That's oh gosh that's great oh, comedy in the morning that's so good oh that's so good um who do the red wings have next i'm just trying to look here smashville who is also bad is that their first time playing nashville this year i think so if i don't know this, this, year- this season already feels like a blur and not in a good way <laughs> i was gonna say the season feels like all you know, two teams, but they've actually played quite a few teams. So yeah, between now and next episode, the they have uh, Nashville twice, Thursday at 8 Eastern and Saturday at the same time. And then we'll be back with you uh, on Sunday. Um, and very quickly, just to wrap up the Red Wings specific part here, uh, Mantha obviously was only scratched for one game. Blashill didn't comment before the game as to whether he'd be back in, which I thought was weird. Um, but Mantha obviously did play. I didn't think he lit the world on fire. I don't think very many Red Wings did, but I honestly thought he looked good. He was Better. fine. Still saw more effort. Still saw a lot of bad habits. He was generating chances specifically in the last minute and a half. He was fine. Moved his feet a lot more, which I thought was good. Like that's one thing Jeff Blashill says where I'm like, yeah, I agree 100%. Anthony Mantha, when you move your feet, good things happen. We always talk about how Mantha can wheel and how many of his highlights come from him, like wheeling around players and just burning defenders. Guy has a skill set. Use it all. Anyhow, uh, before we get to the next topic, uh, a fun announcement for everyone. The Wind Wheel podcast has sponsored with FanDuel. So today's show and our episodes for the foreseeable future uh, is proudly brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, a sponsor that we're proud to work with uh, to bring you the best in sports betting, giving hockey fans exactly what we want, especially at a time like now, uh, more excitement in the game. Uh, It's a simple to use interface. It offers great odds on different betting markets. It gives you more and more action each and every game day. Uh, You can bet in unique ways like same game parlay, and they also offer exclusive promotions on big events. And when you win, this is a great part, you get your winnings back safely in as little as 24 hours. Uh, We love FanDuel Sportsbook because it's easy to use from registration to deposit and finding your bet. 
when you win, you get your money fast and those special promos that we talked about. Now listen to this. FanDuel is letting you place your first bet risk-free up to $1,000. Just place a bet on any game and FanDuel will refund you up to $1,000 back if you don't win your first bet. No strings attached. If you win, you keep the cash. If you lose, you'll get up to $1,000 back in site credit. Uh, this is something that we, uh, wish we could bet on, especially with the Canadian, uh, division games. I think those are always a bloodbath. And whenever we watch like Toronto, Montreal, it's like, I don't want to root for either of these teams, but if I can get a great betting line on them, that would be a great way to generate some excitement from our end. Um, we're pumped for you guys to have that thousand dollar risk-free bet to try at FanDuel. And what you need to do now is download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get started with a risk-free bet of $1,000 and be sure when you sign up to use promo code WWP so they know the winged wheel podcast sent you that's FanDuel Sportsbook promo code WWP. And a quick disclaimer, you have to be 21 and older and present in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, West Virginia, Indiana, Colorado, Iowa, Tennessee, uh, Virginia or Michigan. Uh, first online real money wager only. Site credit is non withdrawable and expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See sportsbook.fanduel.com for details. If you have a gambling problem, call 1 800 522 4700 in Colorado, 1 800 bets off in Iowa, 1 800 9 with it in Indiana, 1 800 gambler in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, and Virginia, Tennessee Redline 1 800 889 9789, www.1800gambler.net in West Virginia, or, or call 1 800 270-7117 in Michigan. Uh, yeah, WWP is a great promo code. We couldn't get um, Evan's mustache as the promo code. Apparently, it didn't fit the the field. It's too long. It's only like a few characters. Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, I actually wanted them to make a, a custom emoji every time they like FanDuel Sportsbook WWP, and it would have like one of those like custom Twitter emojis of just your face with the stash right now, like the Twitch emojis. Yeah. How long are you going to rock that thing? I don't know. Hey. I don't know anymore. We should get FanDuel to put up a prop bet for how long it lasts. <laughs> they can. I Because I don't know. It could be tomorrow. It's not going to be tomorrow. It could be never. A huge money line is is placed from uh, from Kat's office. She's going <laughs> to look like Lanny McDonald. <laughs> she, uh, bets, she bets the under and you can just hear the in the background. It's <laughs> falling asleep. <laughs> Oh, man. Uh, we are pumped about this partnership, guys. There's going to be more to come between us and FanDuel, uh, so stay tuned for that and be sure to use the promo code. Okay. Yeah, please, um, please use the promo code, please. WWP. The dual draft. Let's talk about that because that's not a thing that we've uh, brought yeah, up before. Yeah, speaking of dual, oh, boy. The NHL draft nice. is chaos right now because nobody knows what's going on so right now the draft is scheduled for july 28th if not exactly july 28th somewhere very close to that i don't memorize these dates just like ryan didn't memorize all those phone numbers he had to read off um so obviously i think i read them off fast though no you did way better than i thought you would have Uh, (laughs) thanks yeah i didn't prognosticate at all anyways There's a good YouTube moment. All right. So um, the NHL GMs are in a bit of a tizzy right now because they don't know what to do with the draft. So for what it's worth, the OHL just put forward a proposal. At least this is what Scott Wheeler reported is being put forward as they're going to run a 24 game season in four bubbles. Just using the OHL as an example, which means a lot of scouts and teams and all that 
they're only really going to get a look at some of these OHL prospects for 24 games, which isn't a lot. We've seen prospects in previous years where if they're injured for two thirds of the season, they only play about 24 games. And we're like, oh, was that enough of a viewing to draft them in the first round? Well, that's going to be an entire league, and we don't even know what's going on with the WHL yet. The QMJHL schedule has been up and down and a bit chaotic. So long story short, a lot of high-end prospects are not getting looks from scouts. The NHL is very concerned about this. They're like, how can we conduct a fair draft when we don't have good information? So there's been a couple proposals put on the table. Um, Nothing has been confirmed yet. Delay the draft until the winter. And just run it in the middle of next season. And then that way you at least have the first few months of next season with the prospects to make a decision. Or the maximum chaos idea that's been put forward that seems to have at least a little bit of legs. Dual draft next summer. So you literally run the 2021 draft on like, I'm going to pick a date here, June 23rd, 2022. And then the 2022 draft, June 25th of 2022 so you literally get everybody in the room same room for like three four five days in a row whatever you need and you just run the 2021 draft as it is as players who would be eligible for it are and then take a break and come back and then do the the next draft so it will be the late o2s and o3s um the first draft and then the next one the late o3s and o4s so Obviously, the theory behind that is, well, now you're getting another full year of looks at these prospects that you didn't get this season. Now, the counter argument to that is, really, it's only the WHL and the OHL. Most of the other leagues are running and functioning in some capacity. So is it worth delaying this whole thing on a couple leagues? But then you factor in a lot of these scouts don't like video scouting because they can't go watch the leagues that are functioning in person for the most part. So Everything is all over the place and there seems to be no consensus and a lot of issues with it because one of the big pushbacks against delaying it is, okay, well, is that fair to the players who get drafted? Because now they're using losing a year of service time. Maybe Owen Power makes the NHL next year. Well, that he wouldn't have the chance to do that this year. And maybe some of the European prospects could go over into the AHL. Can't do that now. So... It's messy. It's murky. Nobody seemed to be reporting that any one of these ideas is the leading candidate right now. So all we can do is speculate and give our opinions. I understand the want to like perfect this and try to correct for every problem that's come about because of, you know, COVID and the delays. So yeah, the double draft, sure, in theory, it'll work. It comes with its own myriad of problems. Like, oh man, the, the, the ebb and flow of your prospect pool is going to be th- completely thrown off there. That's going to be hard to manage. Um, like you said, development years lost, crowding in terms of who's going to make the NHL when. It's really tough. Um, pushing it to December, I think, is a lot more reasonable of a middle ground in my mind. It's still not my favorite, but it kind of feels just like kicking the can down the road, and it's not really too much different than just doing it in the summer. But sure, I, if those extra amount of games, whatever, will help, then absolutely. I'm wholeheartedly in favor of screw it chaos draft. I believe them when they say it's going to be hard to scout. You're, look, the advantages you gain by keeping the schedule are huge. 
And also, like, as much as it's not fun for the teams, it'll be fun for the fans because uh, the seventh or ninth overall pick has a way better chance of getting the best player. It's it, it's kind of chaotic, but shit, might as well just do that for one year, no? Am I saying that because I know Detroit's going to draft fifth? Absolutely. <laughs> still. <laughs> um, So I tend to agree. Just go Team Chaos this summer because... I think you're just replacing one problem with another problem. If you, if you want to get down to the the crux of it, okay, scouts are having a hard time getting ready for this draft is essentially the argument. And they're not wrong. It's a valid argument. It's it's a thousand percent true. If you're doing back-to-back drafts, like in the same weeks, so you're doing two drafts at once. Don't you think the scouts are going to struggle with that too? You now literally are expanding your field by double. That well, you have creating to, jobs. Yeah, you, teams would have to hire more scouts. There's no way their current scouting departments would be able to watch that many players as often as they would want. So, yeah, it sucks that you're limited to basically video work right now. It sucks that you have to overscout their 16-year-old seasons. The one thing that's kind of lucky, in a sense, at least for the Red Wings and uh, the other bottom feeders, is the late O2 birthday class seems to be really strong. You you look at it and the top three picks could all be late O2s, like Kent Johnson's late O2, Matt Beneers, Owen Power, William Eklund, which means they've already played their full 17-year-old season. So you saw a full 16-year-old year from them. You saw a full 17-year-old year from them, which is what most kids get going into a draft because of the late birthday. This is their third year, hence why they're getting drafted out of the University of Michigan. So... I, I don't see it as a huge, huge issue because at this point, we've got a pretty good idea what William Eklund is. We've got a pretty good idea what Owen Power is. You can go back and watch their their U18 seasons. Um, the wild cards are like the Luke Hughes. He's an August 03 birthday, and there's not a ton of viewings for him, but his league's been playing. Uh, Brant Clark right now is and Carson Lambos are, are probably the biggest issues because they're playing in like tier two European leagues because the OHL and the WHL aren't functioning. Um, and then you look at the late uh, relevant to the Red Wings, the late first round, early second round picks that are going to be very much in play. Like if you look at the OHL, that's where Brennan Ottman, uh, Francesco Pinelli, the, the range of those guys would be. Well, you're not going to get a lot of good looks at them. Unfortunately, you might see Francesco Pinelli for 24 games and that's what, that's what you get and you got to deal with it. But yeah, I just, I think you're replacing one problem with another. I think they lucked out with the class the way it is. And quite honestly, we're all struggling. Tough shit. Do your job in the circumstances and just get it done in July. That's my opinion on it. But I I, I absolutely understand the arguments for all three. I'd be okay with December as well. I'd be okay, obviously, with anything. It's not up to podcasters, but December would also work. Um, but yeah, I, I think just go for it in July, man. Well, It's going to suck, but it's going to yeah. suck for everyone. And also, too, teams want control of their prospects, uh, not in a bad way, in a good way. Let's say I got to pick an example here. William Eklund, European prospect. Okay, let's say the Red Wings get first overall pick. William Eklund is absolutely in the conversation for first overall. If the Red Wings draft him, they want to do with him what they want to do with him. They might say, yeah, stay in the SHL for another year. They might want him over in Grand Rapids this year. They might want to give him an honest shot at the Red Wings. Well, if the draft's in December and he's already halfway through a season in the SHL, the Red Wings' hands are tied, right? So, yeah, I, I don't know. I I say suck it up and deal with it. 
I saw something today about the OHL is going to run hub cities. Yeah. Um, but it was still up for, I think, some sort of debate. Uh, so pending, it's not like there will be nothing from the OHL. Pending government approval. Oh, 20, 24 game season in four hub cities. Starting in March from the summer. The Ontario government. <laughs> the most well-run organization in the, on the planet. Notoriously reliable and predictable in their actions. Yep, this is going to go off without a hitch. Speaking of which, more and more games are being postponed due to COVID. Shocking. Uh, how is this progressing? We don't know. I'm having a hard time reaching my requisite three goalie appearances for my fantasy. I have, I have zero three goalies point. and I'm still struggling. <laughs> um this is uh, no in all honesty this is an ongoing thing we've talked about it previous episodes we'll talk about it in future episodes uh vegas thomas nosek was pulled off two periods through the game yeah what the hell is going on when that happens how are you not getting test results till the middle of a game and if the uh, if the argument is oh it was inconclusive before the game he doesn't play like holy hell that is insane to me that whatever their testing system is, you can't get results till the middle of a game. So another thing is think of how many players have to go on protocol because of contact or like proximity to someone who tested positive. I mean, he was on the bench. Is that not just the whole team? (laughs) Isn't this the same situation as the Kevin Durant one where he may have came in contact with someone who had an inconclusive result? Yeah. So they're like, oh, like you can play, and then it came back negative. So they're like, yeah, okay, and then it came back positive, and they're like, oh, never mind. We need to pull you from a game where you're just sweating all over fifteen people. Yeah, it's like, yeah, I'm not gonna pretend to know better than public health experts, but you know, we gave the NHL a lot of credit for how they ran the bubbles, great, and and they deserve credit. This. And as Brad has alluded to, somewhat predictably has not gone nearly as smoothly. And it's not that it's just been bumpy. It's problematic. Haven't they need some, to adjust. Haven't some arenas been taking down the glass behind the... Yep. Um, almost all of them. The, the bench slash coaches. Yep. Almost the increased circulation. But that does make sense. Like air yeah, will move sure. better in there. But um, some arenas, for example, Florida haven't. Uh, apparently the area near those seats are prime. Like they're allowed to have some fans in based on like their state or province. And uh, those are big money tickets. And so they're <laughs> for Florida, I think, was a team. They didn't want to get rid of that glass. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Florida. Uh, Florida. <sighs> Do you see that Florida man who has pulled off uh, a boat completely hammered today? Yeah, I heard he's won seven <laughs> Super Bowls. <laughs> you guys. Oh, man. He's he is allowed to be as drunk <laughs> and as, or as publicly drunk as he wants. Maybe not these days, but otherwise, I agree. <laughs> yeah. Well, honestly, I'm not even... I'm always in awe of Tom Brady. I'm not even just like... I'm not a Tom Brady fan. Um, I'm a Detroit Lions fan, which means I, I know no happiness in football. But this guy, like, he's legitimately just so funny to watch. He's such an awkward human being. It's hard to believe that that's the same guy that got in... Uh, uh, Matthew's face and it's threw he, at him on the next play. He kind of just looks like the, everybody else. He's not like chis- a chiseled god. He doesn't run fast. He just can sling a football and he looks like you or I. Well, not me right now with a mustache, but <laughs> he's <laughs> a man's man. So you're saying we have a chance to make no. the NFL. The NHL's gone, but we have a chance for the NFL. 
Hey, if they go team K- or uh, draft chaos, there might be a chance to okay. sneak ourselves in there. Um, Pittsburgh not only had a, P- uh, a GM vacancy, which they filled with Ron Hextall, eat your hearts out, Philadelphia. They also hired none other than Brian Burke as their president of hockey ops. And I don't even think they were originally planning on doing that. That's what I've heard. Uh, from the sounds of it, the plan was to make two hires. Whether It was unclear whether the second hire was going to be a president of hockey ops or, or it, some kind of support role to the GM, but it sounds like that's what the plan was. The A president of hockey ops and it being Brian Burke came completely out of left field. Um, I was listening to an interview with Burke who said this all came together in under a week. He was actually assisting someone in the Pens organization with information on GM candidates like the people he knew. And then he and then Burke said that the person he was dealing with uh, got asked by Mario where he was getting all this information from. And he said, oh, uh, Brian Burke's been I've been talking to Brian Burke. And he's like, oh, call him. And then it all kind of snowballed from there. I'm actually sad about this genuinely because as much as I disagree with Brian Burke on nearly everything hockey, I think he's entertaining as hell and he's a good dude. And I, I think- yeah, there's nobody on the face of this earth whose opinions I disagree more, but love more than Brian Burke. Yeah, I think he's really entertaining. So I'm, I'm sad to lose him off the, the commentary beat, but I don't know. Good for him. Weird because Pittsburgh is still insisting they're in a win now window, which I don't believe they, they are. And Ron Hextall notably was good at building through the draft and working the cap two things that pittsburgh is really gonna have to focus on but not at the winning part of it so well what's what's hextall gonna do because i'd look at the team and my gut instinct would be to rebuild but then my next thing would be with what they have no prospects and they have no picks yeah, I guess you're all in. Um, again, Burke in his interview was saying they're going to play this year and get a read how, where the team's at. I mean, you still have Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin, and Chris Letang, so you have a puncher's chance to win the Stanley Cup. That's enough. Not always, but you've got a chance. It just takes those guys and Tristan Jari to get hot at the right time, which is possible. Um, that being said, I don't see this riding out very long so ron hextall has the unenviable job of being the guy who might have to trade some of these guys he might have to trade an evgeny malkin he might have to trade a crystal tang and he runs the issue of if he waits too long their value dips like malkin's not young he's older than crosby um and his game looks like it's already dipped off a bit. So next year, it's going to get worse. The year after that, it's going to get worse. If you're going to do anything, it's got to be soon. Um, so I believe him when I say he's going to ride out this season and then take a really honest look at where this organization is at. So if they go out meekly in the first round of the playoffs, yeah, we could see a nuclear bomb go off in that front office. But if Pittsburgh makes a run, it maybe it's status quo. I don't know. I don't like the Penguins, but man, they're going to be the most fascinating team in the nhl to watch this offseason malkin to washington let's do it i'm maximum chaos it has to be it, it has to be malkin honestly like if you boil down these players and remove all like the fan attachment and everything you de- you deal both of them and you can accelerate a rebuild you can put yourself at to step two of five in a rebuild by selling both those guys with amazing assets but you're never going to trade Sidney crosby you cannot do it they'll burn pittsburgh to the ground i 
don't see a world where ownership would ever okay that because no. I think Sidney Crosby's going right from that bench right up to the owner's box. Yeah. I think that decision is going to come down to Sidney Crosby. I don't think Ron Hextall's going to have a say in it. Sid, we're entering a rebuild. You want another kick at the can for a cup? Fine. We'll trade you for every draft pick a team has. Or do you just want to stay in Pittsburgh forever? If so, let's talk contract. That's, I think that's, it's going to be as simple as that. Like now what follows that conversation will not be simple. But I think ultimately it, it's going to be Sid's decision. I don't know if Malkin and Latang will get the same privilege on that one because, well, if they do decide they're going into a rebuild, you need to get the assets from somewhere. You can't just bottom out for five years and pray that you'll win the draft lottery because as other teams can attest to, that doesn't happen unless you're the Pittsburgh Penguins. Well, well, so maybe actually, but um, <laughs> yeah, I I don't know. It's going to be fast and with brian burke there the ultimate wild card oh i'm here for it more to watch on that but for now we're gonna move into overtime and because this is a midweek episode this is a patreon exclusive overtime we'd like to thank all of our patrons for being so great and much cooler than our least cool host brad crisco that came through a peer-reviewed study uh reviewed by both myself and evan so it's irrefutably uh true we're going to start with Alex Zucco, who says, fellas, I hate to already be asking a roster question for next year, but with YouTube TV, I never get to see any damn games anyways. The question is, who do y'all think Stevie brings back among the 2021 UFAs? Oh, Ooh, boy. All right. So I'm going to base my answer entirely off of performance this season. Um, I, I think for a lot of these guys, it is an audition. And I do think that we have to bring back some of them because, well, someone's got to play for the team next year and it can't all be rookies. So uh, I'm going you to, to list them off. Yeah, rattle them all off. I've, I've got a few in my head that are no brainers and then a few that are no brainers the other way. Mark Stahl, no brainer. He's back. Let's move on. He's back. No. Uh, Darren Helm. Gone. I think Phil he'll Pula. be back. You think he'll be back? Uh, very know. very small amount of money but i think he'll be back i could see that it, it, it would not surprise me if he is but i, I wouldn't bet on it uh philpola gone negative luke glendening depends what they get at the, if they get any good offers at the trade deadline if they don't trade him i'll say he's back i'm assuming nobody gets traded in this conversation i'll say he's back okay well i don't know bobby ryan i say he's back he'll be back Sam Gagne. Gone. Yay. Yeah. Uh, gone. Mark Stahl. Gone. Patrick He'll be ne- back. They'll actually up his contract. Oh, God. Uh, Patrick Nemeth. Back. He'll be and back. John Merrill. Back. Back, yeah. Everyone else is either an RFA or signed through. Yeah. Um, okay, and I actually left the page like a big dumb dummy. What so about I- Henrik Zetterberg? He's a UFA next year. Is he? Is next year he'll, his UFA? He'll year? be back in a different role, I hope. When is Hank going to come back to the team? Because we have seen him floating around a little bit. I, well, technically, he's still with the team. That's right, in Europe. So, uh, oh, that's and his contract. Uh, Jake Kiefer says, if you're forced to add one of these contracts to the wings, which would it be? Uh, or you can elect to take a hypothetical contract of McDavid for $20 million a, $20 million a year for 20 years. So it's either that or Bobrovsky, $10 million left a year for six years. Doughty, $11 million a year for seven more years. Or Roman Yossi, 9.06 for eight more years. 
I'm tempted to say Yossi, but I don't know how old he is. Is he 20? He's, he's is 30. He 30? Yeah. He's 30. Doughty's 31. Bobrovsky's age 32. Oh, I'm t- it's got to be Yossi, right? He's the youngest of the group and kind of yeah. seems to be hanging on to his game a little bit better than the rest. I'm, I'm going on Roman Yossi here, but honorable mention to that McDavid. I'm actually leaning towards <laughs> McDavid. I like just eat it for the last like five years, but like it'll be worth it before that point. Uh, Joe Deppy says, uh, I think the new power play strategy should be just let Troy Stetcher blast away from the red line. Can't be any worse than the current one. Uh, Michael Barry says, how would you guys feel about Mickey Redmond running the power play? He was begging Mantha to shoot. Hey, Mick's got a, got the right idea. I would love for him to just go out there and have carte blanche to run it as he wants. Listen, before he got hurt, their power play system was just shoot it into traffic and pray to God Tyler Bertuzzi finds it. And it's an awful system, but it actually worked a few times because Tyler Bertuzzi is really good. That was a better system than whatever the hell they've been running since Bertuzzi got hurt. So if Mick's plan is literally to just have Mantha fired into traffic and pray, sure. It's an upgrade. Uh, La Plata Peak says the Red Wings futility notwithstanding, it's encouraging to see that the Rangers have a dumpster fire of a season themselves. Painful as it is to watch Mark Stahl pretend to be an NHL player, knowing that the Red Wings very well have picks 33 and 34 in the second round has taken some of the sting out. Or maybe uh, not, as I'm not sure how the determination of Seattle's two to seven round picks are assigned. Uh, uh, Detroit's Lay- pick will be ahead of theirs. Because I yeah. think they get assigned same as third last, I believe, and I don't think Detroit's leapfrogging two teams. <laughs> Uh, Jeff Lehman says, how much culpability did Nielsen, Ernie, Helm, and the rest of the uh, last five-minute elites have at this point? Shouldn't they step up and refuse to go out until Zadina, Larkin, and Mantha are completely gassed? If Blasio mo- won't make the right choices, someone has to. No, that'll no never they have players. zero culpability in that. No, you, you as a hockey player, you want to play hockey. If the coach taps you on the back and says, get out there, every hockey player will get out there 100% of the time. Uh, 2021 check prospect lick my sack says uh, just here to let you guys know that 420 is exactly 69 days away nice, nice. Uh, say the thing Evan he has to find a new button nice thank you uh, Evan Beckner says hey guys uh, say you have a buddy who bought a sweet looking top of the line sports car they posted a tweet of it and it's all blacked out and looks sleek as hell how would you react if they pulled up to your house and it turns out they cover the car in shitty white tape <laughs> I knew that was going to be about Brad Stick. No, I knew that's what it was coming about. And uh, it's just re- it's reassuring to me know, to know that most people don't agree with him. Um, Wait, he's not agreeing. Oh, but Evan agrees with me, but most people agree with you. Yeah, I get that. It does look cool. The white on black does look cool. It looks so sick. I literally bought white grip tape to put on the top of my sticks just for you, Ryan. God, you're such a... It's going to get... Anyways. Hassan oh, I know. Sem- I don't even care. <laughs> says my weekly patreon exclusive comment to remind you that we want the detroit deep dish drop pass shirts yes we were actually working uh all of our free time was spent working with uh fanduel to set up this um partnership so we're gonna focus on things like that now the yeah because uh, we're a real podcast forward. now you say that like once every nine podcasts yeah eventually if i say it enough maybe it'll come true no uh also why is brad trying to censor us oh this isn't brad this is me this is ryan doing this uh why is brad trying to censor us with the keep the comments short and sweet thing have i ever told you the long story about when i (laughs) yeah it's not that i don't want you guys to comment it's just that um they type like they read on the screen a lot better than they read out on air verbally and uh it's much easier for me to not have to 
parse through it live. So keep it succinct and short and sweet, and it makes for a better show and get your comment right out. Uh, lastly, if we just fire the entire uh, coaching staff and let the team run loose out there for two weeks while the new coaching staff is in protocol, couldn't get worse than what we currently have. Please talk about this for 30 minutes. I think we already have. Uh, Hockey Virgin says, hey, guys, I woke up from a coma after hearing some weird rumor about Stafford wanting to leave. Anyways, in order to stay positive from what's going on with this garbage fire of a team, you need a palate cleanser. What was your guys' favorite movie and why? Um. I don't know. I like. I am a big, big fan of Inglorious Bastards. I find it just mixes a lot of unique characters with a known storyline with the right amount of humor, but also they mixed enough things up to keep it interesting. I, I loved that movie, and I don't really have any terrific reason as to why, but I've seen it twelve times at least. Um, the the untouchables but watch the original version which is in france france which is in french just put subtitles on it's a phenomenal movie i think you should watch feels it's like not always feel good but it's feel good i'm a big wes anderson fan so any give me grand budapest hotel or the fantastic mr fox oh yeah love grand budapest hotel somehow without knowing what movies you guys like both of you had the exact answer i was expecting yeah Wes Anderson's just quirky and witty, and I just really enjoy it. And Ryan absolutely struck me as the person who was going to pick a foreign language film. <laughs> you struck me as the person who'd find it notable that I pick a foreign language film. <laughs> you uncultured swine. <laughs> uh, Lars, the prophet of the towering behemoth, says, could there really be a reality where Eisenman looks at the coaching of this team and goes, this looks good. I like how we deploy our team. Tactics are perfect. I want more of this. Is it even remotely possible that Blashill is re-signed after this season? And if he is, how does that make you feel? And will it put a dent in your faith in St. Eisenman and his divine plan? I'll be even more bitter, I guess, but I fail to see what's, uh, how that is possible. But hey, Torts and Line A are off to a flying start and we will have Hextall-Burke tandem in Philly. Will they trade for William Nylander now? There's a possibility Blashill gets brought back. I won't even say it's unlikely or likely. It's hard hard to know at this point. If Eisenman says the rebuild has to go for longer than I thought, he might very well give Blashill another year. Um, right now, I'd lean to him ditching him in the offseason. I won't say it's probable that he'll fire him midseason. If he keeps Blashill, yeah, that'll be a pretty big knock in my mind against the, the, the rebuild, but I don't want to pre-criticize yeah, the only are like, I've almost never seen the Red Wings fan base more unified than I do right now. Like it's almost unanimous that the fan base wants to move on, which is rare. And the few people who are still on his side, the only argument they have is, well, the team's bad. Nobody can point to positives in his tenure at this point, which is troubling to say the least because there's a lot of times they'll disagree with people on something and they'll make a lot of great points that i understand i still will lean the other way but like okay i see where you're coming from i i i don't have anything here so yeah it would shake me a little bit in the eyes or plan it's gonna sound terrible and obviously 11 games or however many games in we are the that it doesn't look good but i think we're gonna need to see another 20 games or so before my my answer is completely solidified right now it's awful right now i'm totally with you guys i'm not on the other side but i think we still need to see more as this team kind of tries to come together i can't even sell myself on that he's been doing the same 
same Braddock. shit for five years, Evan. What more do you need to see? But this team is supposed to be better now, Nothing Brad. Nothing has changed. I know since that. 2016. I know that, but without a proper training camp and proper time, I think. Is five of them? <laughs> yes, but that's not with the same team. Listen, just give it. He's not getting fired during the season anyway. So I agree fired. with that. So you're gonna find you're gonna find out your answer in ten, another 10, 20, 30 games, forty games anyway. Uh, guys, reasonable Evan giving a well thought out, eloquent argument, and Brad losing his mind. If you have a lot of money, go wager it right now because today is the day you're gonna get those winnings. <laughs> Uh, Ian Wamsley says, do you think Eisenman will be able to avoid the follies that sunk the last administration, that being signing second and fourth liners to huge contracts and destroying the salary cap for seasons to come? Also, I'm seriously done with the Franz Nielsen experiment. Well, it was more of like a commission or like a, it's hardly an experiment with how long that contract was. Um, I'm not saying Eisenman's infallible, but one thing he does really well is avoid giving middling to bottom six players huge contracts that they don't deserve i no, have he's, yeah he's not been here long but his cap management's been phenomenal in that time so no qualms there uh the actual terry says hello Ferk this week that is all my name is ryan hannah and i approve this message uh this message was paid for by the evan lobsinger creepy mustache association uh adam kausert says is there any info on if the nbc commentary team is moving anywhere after it shuts down i count at least five times pierre ranted off a pierre stat and his partner just awkwardly ignored it and moved on i don't know um the nbc sports shutting down was kind of a surprise i don't know where they're going to move to but i imagine they're going to be retained somewhere i thought they were just renaming themselves to something strange well the games have to be broadcast somewhere and they're going to need a crew to broadcast them so i don't think there's going to be a lot happening with them but who knows it's been a dark dark week in the hockey media world so i'm not ruling out anything uh lonnie zone wants to know how we watched the red wings in ontario prior to online streaming uh it was on cable quite a bit from when i was in windsor obviously we'd get like every red wings game um Mm. Ever since Rogers did the center ice thing where you can pay a heavy premium and get every nhl game I've been paying for it. So as soon as my wife got a job with the telecom company that provides it, oh, the discounts helped a ton. And I sail the seven seas. RC Tendy says, Taxi Squad mean bad. Why no Nielsen on taxi? If Disco Dan make it to cup finals, why is our power play bad? Hmm? If Steve Eisenman is our GM, why are teams still bad? Hmm? Things to think about when you're not thinking about wings and pizza incredibly good points which i can't keep up with <laughs> uh pierre mcguire is an insufferable spineless wart he specified where that wart is um hey there fellas congrats to brian burke uh now we don't have to listen to his heavy mouth breathing and noise nose whistles during hockey central i'm calling it now he's gonna flip gino to the caps for a package uh with picks in connor mcmichael and or hendrix lapierre what happens first line a asks for another trade or torts is fired Ooh, torts being fired for sure his seat is warm. Oh, yeah. Well, not off to a great start with Patty Line. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> that couldn't have been worse optically. Not that it was necessarily his fault, but still. Uh, non-hockey note, go watch The Five Bloods on Netflix. Delroy Lindo gave the performance of the year. Absolutely astounding. Stay fresh cheese bags. Oh, maybe I'll watch that tonight. I've been watching Barry, the TV show. It is 
good. so good with Bill Hader. It is phenomenal. It's probably in the top three shows I've ever watched. Wow. It's that good. I, I have anxiety, and you know me. I don't stress about anything. When I watch that show, I have stress and anxiety. Oh, I thought you meant you have anxiety in general. I'm like, oh no, no, you no, do never. not. <laughs> no, never. Um, oh god. The next commenter's name is A Night In with Ryan Hanna. They've taken, my, <laughs> they've taken my Twitter profile picture and made it theirs. Uh, Hello, I'll be needing some movies to review for my new one-man podcast. It will be all video, and yes, I will be wearing a bathrobe. Please quit flooding my mentions about cilantro. Forward all complaints to my dear friend at Hockey Town Evan. Finally, please support A Night In with Ryan Hanna so Rowan will stop trying to blackmail me. And last but not least, it's offsides. Wow, I hate whoever did that. (laughs) Ryan, you need to get ahead of this and uh, start that podcast. Do it, please. I am so angry that I didn't create my own patreon account to make that account myself <laughs> that'll just, be part of the winged wheel sports network yeah <laughs> and podcast. it's literally never it's only ever for the next 20 years just this podcast and then a night in with ryan Hanna. <laughs> you guys can guest star as much as you want oh boy oh um slava kozlov's doppelganger says first off i'm happy i don't have to hear brian burke criticizing of all people larkin's character for not wanting to play in the all-star game second since it's going to be minimum three years before any detroit team is going to be competitive and michigan football is trash i'm going to be watching a lot of michigan basketball but that is shut down now so two questions for you what college basketball team do you like slash follow of any michigan go blue and what TV show recommendations do you have since I have no sports to watch uh, that matter? Thanks to Ken Hall and Stan Van Gundy and the freaking Ann Arbor Health Department. Uh, Barry, according to Watch that. Barry. It is so good. I'm three episodes into WandaVision right now. If oh, you're into yeah. the Marvel and oh, it's good. Yeah. Oh, my God. Is it good? We're caught up and we caught up all in one night and it's phenomenal. I'm losing my mind. Crystal and I are, th- we didn't get a chance to start watching it till Monday night. And yeah, so we fired off three episodes the last two nights, which is part of the reason I'm so tired today. Um, but yeah, so I'm hoping to squeeze in an episode tonight once we're done recording. Have you guys ever watched The Sinner? Mm-mm. It's really good too. I think it's on Netflix. I could be wrong, but it, we've watched it all and it's really good. Uh, and I'm Evan says good day dud duds it's me evan golf heater 69 nice no free ads unless it's the company i work for remember that see i'm totally me look i know the red wings are very ungood right now however i have to note that if you look through the last 10 games tell me what was the biggest difference between the nine losses and the one win that's right we scratched good old trade bait mantha look at all the cups we won no mantha there's a pattern here we must trade him for nick suzuki immediately and now that that segue you yeah 100 percent. yeah oh yeah oh freaking i lost i accidentally swiped they have to throw in romanov too though ah yeah just as a sweetener uh and now that that segue is done with uh done with it is the critical next question answered in detail ryan what exactly is the best to or is the best way to make poutine (laughs) ryan i made the most i was thinking of you this week i made the most egregious no you know cardinal sin poutine of all tell time me you put shredded cheese on. don't tell me you put so i started with costco french fries that i put in the air fryer that's fine so i didn't even make the fries that's okay and I then I, I had leftover beef 
dripping, so I turned that into a gravy. So that's, okay. you know... Th- Great stuff. And then I put shredded cheddar yeah. cheese. No! <laughs> hey, no! <laughs> I thought of you as soon as I th- had the idea come to my brain, and then as I was doing it, I was like, Ryan would think so uh, of me right now. It's like someone giving you a bowl of melt, like a... like sweetened cream soup and saying hey this is ice cream it's completely different texture it's a I, different ingredient i will oh. i will admit it's not nearly as good as cheese curds oh. uh, but it was i had to eat it because it just made me laugh this is Melted. my favorite overtime segment we've ever had <laughs> ryan's just gonna have a stroke no it's just okay that's fine you had oh. melted is there a name for that abomination it i'm sure it tastes good overall. yeah there's a name for it it's called no it's, poutine. it's certainly not <laughs> brad i'm gonna go there and tape all of your sticks with black tape don't even i'm gonna notch the toe of your blade <laughs> don't even joke about that ryan <sighs> this will come in handy for our next giveaway a night with ryan hannah semicolon don't fight it god damn it guys <laughs> jesus <laughs> it hurts are you dessert? Is there a secret channel on our Discord that I don't know about? This is the roast of Ryan Hanna. <laughs> this is what you get for tucking your shinkers into your skate tongues. Yeah, this is what I get for the prognosticating comments. This is what I get for being an insufferable douchebag. Oh, jersey time. Retro, ret- reverse retro vein. You can bring back three jerseys that haven't been rehashed. What three are you bringing back in defunct jerseys from moved franchises or fair game? Golf 69. Nice. California Golden Seals keeps coming to mind. Doing a modernized version of that would be dope. Uh, the old Colorado Rockies, I think, could be brushed up in a really cool way. And Is the Buffalo Sabres black and red and silver one one of theirs nope they didn't uh they did no the one you're thinking of with the buffalo head no there they haven't done that one um, uh i gotta think of one would, more the barber pole in my mind that's an easy oh yeah right? yeah oh my god i'm not even thinking of the red wings of course yeah um chicago barber pole too actually would be they did a version of that for a winter classic or an outdoor game i believe not really Kind of, but not really. Fuck you, buddy. Um, Yeah. The Golden Seals, was it even like an exceptional logo? No, I just thought the colors were fun. And I have a lot of respect for teams that are willing to put like neon, teal, yellow, and pink on their jerseys. Has Arizona Arizona worn their Kachina purple jerseys yet? No, I don't believe so. Oh, give that to me. Yeah. Anyways, uh, we're going to wrap up this week's episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast. We want to thank you all for listening. We want to thank all of our patrons. We want to thank our brand new sponsor, FanDuel Sportsbook. Download the app. Use promo code WWP. We want to thank our name-level sponsors of the podcast. Brett Bailey, Arjun Shanker, Eve Bartell on behalf of the Sarah Grand Foundation, Taylor Tagel, Ryan Hubbard, R.A., Zach Spring, Citizen High Five, Cody Stark, Greach, Jeremiah Dobo, Jake Kiefer, Tyrone Bigham, uh brand big bag a snot and nose hairs he still hasn't changed that one andrew bohan scott martin jacob turner matt mckay craig kibble brandon m matthew m rice luke johnson kaylin wood hassam al-kassem hana lee sam bankson kevin mccracken zach van josh yelton another former junior goalie turned golfer trevor pavavar evans bingo card connor Leighton, danny jr uh brad crisco's awful tape job matt keeler Pierre Maguire is an insufferable spineless wart. Antonio Gracias, John Evans, Joseph Minima, 
Quaz and Stan Olson. Thank you guys so much. We'll be back with you on Sunday. Take care. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.